growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Sometimes things maybe perhaps aren't quite as obvious as on the surface they might appear to be. And so it is, I think, with the idea of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I think that sometimes people think that they understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It seems obvious uh, to them on the surface, but perhaps it's not quite what they think. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, perhaps it's more than they think. Sheep. Maybe you've seen them on TV. Perhaps you've been around sheep on a farm. A shepherd expects two things from his sheep, wool and more sheep. Interestingly, the Bible often refers to God's followers as sheep. So the question can be asked, what does God expect from his sheep? I couldn't tell you how many people I've met who look at Jesus as nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. That just, you know, just hey, just pray this sinner's prayer and then just go in the direction you want to go. But I'm telling you, there's more to this idea of being a follower of Jesus. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. In our series, Building on the Basics, we've come to the last chapter of 1 Peter. We started chapter 5 last week, and if you were with us, you may remember Pastor Clay walking us through what God expects of his under-shepherds, the pastors of his church. Well, today, we find Peter turning his attention to the sheep, the people who profess faith in Jesus Christ and make up his church. Just as God has expectations for the pastors of his church, he also has expectations for the sheep of his church. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the expectations on the sheep. Pastor Clay is going to take us through four expectations that God has for his sheep, found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. We're so glad you've joined us today for this important message for the church. Now here's Pastor Clay. Y'all ever, uh, you know how sometimes some things seem obvious, but then when you examine it more closely or you look at it from maybe from a different angle, it turns out that perhaps it's not quite as obvious as you thought it was or as, as easy to see as you, as you thought it was? <laughs> I got to get y'all, y'all are all over the place today, so I've I'm, I'm, I'm got to get you into this. Remember, y'all, who's got the Gatorade? Y'all got to, for instance, gas prices. Right now, gas prices have been down here lately, and for most of us, that's a that's a good thing, right? Uh, I, lo- I looked this up at the end, of, so about a week ago, at the end of January, the average price of gas uh, per gallon in America was a dollar seventy nine. That's nationwide average, dollar seventy nine per gallon, which is, as I said, a lot better than it was, you know, a couple of years ago or or something like that. So nobody's uh, complaining, but those of us that have been driving for a while, can remember a time when gas prices were way cheaper, right? Right? For instance, back in, uh, 50 years ago, back in 1966, now I wasn't driving then, I was seven years old, but, but in 1966, 50 years ago, the average, nationwide average price of gasoline was 32 cents a gallon. 32 cents a gallon! That is cheap, right? However, did you know that gas is actually cheaper today than it was in 1966? I looked this up. It must be true. It's on the internet. When, you, when adjusted for inflation, 
when adjusted for inflation, 32 cents in 1966 is equivalent to $2.38 today. That means that gasoline is 24% cheaper today than it was 50 years ago. <laughs> so, you, so, so you, you know what I'm Sometimes you, you think, oh, yeah, that's obvious. It was way cheaper 50 years ago. Well, maybe not. Sometimes things maybe perhaps aren't quite as obvious as on the surface they might appear to be. And so it is, I think, with the idea of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The idea of being part of a, a body. This is an analogy that's used. Sheep, a fold, the shepherd, that analogy that we're in the middle of right now in Peter. I, I think that, that sometimes people uh, think that they understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It seems obvious uh, to them on the surface. But perhaps it's not quite as obvious as they think. Perhaps it's not quite what they think. Or maybe a better way of saying it is, perhaps it's more than they think that it is. I have met, I couldn't tell you how many people through the years who, they would never put it this way, but I'm just, I'm just telling you from personal observation as a pastor, I, I couldn't tell you how many people I've met who look at Jesus as nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. That just, you know, just, hey, just pray this sinner's prayer, uh, just, just invite Jesus into your heart and into your life, and, and then just... just you know, go on and live your life, do your thing, uh, go in the direction you want to go, be as involved as you want to be or don't want to be. But I'm telling you, there's more to it than that. There's more to this idea of being a follower of Jesus. Today, we continue an idea, and we're not going to get all the way through your notes this morning, I'll just tell you that. But today, uh, we're, we're looking at an idea that we started looking at last week. And as I uh, mentioned last week, it really goes back to the week before that. Uh, and it's the statement that Peter made toward the end of chapter 4 of First Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 17, uh, Peter said, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And so as he winds that chapter up, he moves into chapter 5, and he moves into this, this what becomes very obvious, uh, a discussion on how the household of God interacts, how, we, how we're supposed to function, how we're supposed to operate, how we're supposed to uh, conduct ourselves with each other and with the world around us and, and all of those kinds of things. He began, as we looked at last week, in verses 1 through 4 with the, with the roles and the responsibility of the pastor or pastors. And what those are. And we looked at that pretty in depth in the text today. Verse 5 through 14. We'll read it all. We won't get through all of it today. He, he naturally moves into this progression where now he turns to the sheep. He's talked about the, the, the chief shepherd, God. The under shepherd, the pastors of, of, a, of a local congregation, a church. So he naturally moves to the sheep. And in the analogy of God, who are the sheep? That's right. You, you are. The we are in that kind of, I mean, we're the, 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 this body of Christ are also, in this analogy, we're considered sheep. By the way, 
when God uses the phrase, or refers to us as sheep or, or the flock or something, that is in no way intended to be a derogatory term. In fact, it, it's just the opposite because this relationship between sheep and shepherd, for, for one thing, it shows our, our need for him. It, it, sheep are completely and totally dependent upon their shepherd. They just, they're not, they're, quite honestly, I mean, given the world around, they're not living long without a, a shepherd. But it also shows the, what I would say is the connection between the sheep and the shepherd. There is an amazing connection between a shepherd, literally a literal shepherd and, and literal sheep, his sheep. There's a connection. There's, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's like they're inseparable. The shepherd comes, really comes to love his sheep. And the, the chief shepherd loves his sheep. Do you hear me? Loves his sheep. Keep that in mind uh, this morning as we open our Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Finishing, reading through the end of the chapter. We won't finish it all today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. Do y'all need to do some kind of rah-rah cheer or something, you know, as we, right? Russell Hill told me out there that, that he, when I said something good today, he was going to get the wave going, you know, because that's what they do at football games. So he's going to, all right, First Peter 5, y'all ready? You got your Bibles open? Text is on the screen too, right? Listen, uh, you younger men, likewise, uh, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of, so, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, referring to the church, quite possibly the church in Rome, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Just leave that up to y'all. By the way, that, I mean, that, that was culturally acceptable in that culture. It still is in, in, in that part of the world. Uh, they, men will kiss each other on the cheek, and you know, women will kiss each other on the cheek. Uh, I think they still do that in France, don't they? Not that we necessarily want to copy the French, but just greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Uh, Father, as we uh, just finish up this uh, first letter, that uh, Peter uh, gives us. Uh, it's just a, a time to, 
to be thankful to you for what you're, you're teaching us. Uh, we'll have to look at part of this again next week, but I ask that you would uh, take this truth today uh, to, to the sheep. Help us understand that it's not a bad thing, it's not a negative, it's, it's actually a very positive uh, thing. But uh, in our culture, it can be a difficult thing to, uh, to maybe get our minds around. So speak to each person in this room or, or listening to this message today, those who will watch it uh, during the week or listen to our podcast or go to YouTube or however they might uh, catch it. Use us, Lord. God, we're just asking to be used by you. We continue to pray that you'd fill up this building once and twice and three times over and that, that, uh, that you would expand the work across Culture Church and that we'd see impact through our, our iVite card, through our personal witness, through our uh, uh, media that we can send out these types of things. God, just use us for your honor and your glory. Uh, teach us the, the truth of what the expectations are on the sheep, uh, your sheep. You are a great chief shepherd in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Um, we're going to look, we won't look at it all today, just not going to have to, but, but four expectations for the sheep. All right? Starting with this one. Submit. Do what your pastors ask you to do. <clears throat> Is it warm in here? First part of verse 5, let me read it again. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. There are certain things, certain topics, uh, certain ideas that you can bring up that, depending on who you are talking to, you, you can be pretty sure that there's somebody, probably going to be somebody in that crowd that's not going to like what you have to say. For instance, if you talk about how delicious a Five Guys cheeseburger is, on a vegetarian uh, blog forum, you're probably going to get some nasty comments. If you uh, raise the idea that uh, the new Star Wars movie is, is really just a not very imaginative reboot of the original, you're probably going to draw the ire of Star Wars fans. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you said that. If you uh, claim how awesome your new iPhone is at Samsung's corporate headquarters, you're probably going to get fired. If you claim that Muhammad was a false prophet while you're standing in a mosque in Iran, you're probably going to die. There are just certain things that you just know that there's going to be people who are not going to receive them real well. If a pastor uh, has to talk about about the sin of racism, or the, the sin of apathy towards spiritual growth, or the sin of stealing from God the tithe, or the, or the sin of, of uh, failing to, to share your faith, or whatever the topic might be, he can be sure there's probably going to be somebody in there that, that's going to take, uh, take offense at what he has to say or, or not always going to like it. And, and this is the case with this text today. But as we saw last week, a pastor has to be true to the text. He has to deliver to the people what the word of God says. So in this case, as we jump into verse uh, 5 of uh, chapter 5 of First Peter, the first thing that Peter says is that, read it again, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Now, uh, all of you that are that don't think you qualify as younger men, <laughs> you're sitting there thinking, <laughs> good deal. 
as, as I understand it, uh, the, the, uh, the masculine plural uh, noun, pronoun, can be, can be used in a generic sense to, to all younger people. And since uh, there's no indication contextually, I know it's a little technical, but, but stay with me. Since there seems to be no indication contextually that there has been a change from verses 1 through 4. Who, do you, who was he talking about in verses 1 through 4? That's right. Pastors, elders, uh, overseers, bishop. Even that term bishop, I mean, that is, it can be translated that way. You can call me Bishop Clay. <laughs> it's weird. Weird. Um, but any, as we looked at last week, all of those terms are used synonymously to describe the same person, the same function, the same uh, expectations that are on their life. It's talking about, so as we move into, chapter, into verse 5, there's no contextual indication that it has changed in any way. And so uh, anybody reading the text would naturally, as they come to verse 5, would naturally assume that he's still talking about the same uh, person that he was talking about previously when it, when it used, refers to the term elders. When it says, you younger men which can mean young, younger people should, should uh, submit to your elders, you wouldn't, not, you wouldn't shift. You understand what I'm saying? You wouldn't shift and say, oh, now he's talking about older people. Contextually, he's still dealing with the same person that he was before, and that is the pastors. And he says that you are to submit to him. The, I think I've got the Greek word that is used uh, there is hypotasso. It is... It's translated to be subject to, but, but it, it, it means to be subject to in, in a formal sense. In other words, it's not just the idea of, well, we ought to, we ought to, younger people ought to respect older people. You know, can I be honest with you? It'd be a lot easier to, to just translate it that way. It'd be a lot easier to just say, well, what, what Peter's really saying is that old, younger, older people deserve respect. So younger people should, should, uh, should respect older people. As a matter of fact, if you've got an NIV translation, that's pretty much how the NIV translates it. But contextually, that's, that's not what it's saying. Contextually, it's saying that the sheep are to submit to the shepherd, to place themselves under the authority of the shepherd. That's their role. That's their responsibility. That's what they are supposed to do. Doesn't always go over well, especially in the culture in which we live. But that is the call for the, the, the sheep of the body of Christ to place themselves under the headship or the leadership of the pastor slash pastors. That's what we're, we are to do. I think I, uh, I mentioned this passage last week talking about pastors understanding that, that they give an account, but it'd probably be good to look at it again for, uh, for, the, for the sheep, just to be reminded of this. In Hebrews, I think chapter 13, it says, obey your spiritual leaders. I know, obey, submit. We don't, I know we don't like those kind of words. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work, would you all read that with me? Their work is to watch over your souls. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be uh, for your benefit. In other words, you know, there's nothing... It's just not pleasant to, to be under a, a pastor that just, just is just down in the dumps because whatever, he's being oppressed or he's being, you know, whatever the reason is. That, that you should, it should be so that, that he approaches his, his role, his responsibilities with joy because the body understands who they are in Christ and what their responsibilities are and what his responsibilities are. Submit. 
Do what your pastors ask you to do. Now, um, I should say that there would be some, some uh, qualifying remarks. Uh, there should be some qualifying remarks here. In other words, there, there, there would be certain times, things about submitting to pastors that you would need to understand. Uh, first off, understand this. As the lead pastor of Cross Culture Church, I got no beef with nobody. I'm not, I'm not preaching this this morning because somebody's, you know, undermining the authority of the pastor or the, the, the elder team. I'm not preaching this this morning because somebody's not following my direction or listening to what I say or, or somebody's trying to, to jump above me. I, I, there, none of that is going on. Listen to me. Cross Culture Church is awesome. I honestly believe that, that, uh, that one of the major reasons that we've never had any drama in this church is because I, I think you guys understand this biblical role of all of us and how we, we work in this thing and everything. So I, I got, there's nothing. You need to understand that. We're talking about this idea of submitting. I got nothing. I got no agenda here, okay? I, I was telling Cindy uh, the other day that I was reading uh, this week about a 103-year-old woman. This is down in Georgia. Did y'all hear about this? This happened, it was last September. 103-year-old woman who got kicked out of her church. The church she had been a member of for 90 years. <laughs> 90 years she's been a member. And uh, she got a letter informing her that, that she is no longer a member. The, the, the pastor got a group of people together, uh, a, you know, a small little group, whatever he needed for quorum, and got them to vote to, uh, to kick this woman out of the church, to revoke her membership. She was not allowed to attend church. She was not allowed on the property at all. <laughs> We're talking about a 103-year-old woman. Here's the reason why. She took issue. She didn't like the pastor's preaching. She didn't like some of his preaching, and so, so he, got her, he got her removed. So watch out. No, I, it's crazy. It was crazy. Now, I, I read, a, by the way, as I go on, I read a follow-up article, and uh, the last thing I read was that, that she rallied her troops and uh, got them to reverse the thing and actually got, then got her group to vote to remove the pastor, but he won't leave. And uh, so he's still at the church, but she's at the church, and yeah, yeah. that's right. So crazy, right? Okay, so, so I got, uh, there's nothing, no, no, no uh, agenda like that or anything uh, like that at all. Um, so what I t- oh, I'm telling you, uh, things keep in mind when we're talking about submitting uh, to, your, to your pastors. Um, second, keep this in mind. Uh, God would never have an expectation on your life to submit or place yourself under a pastor's leadership or direction or authority if what he is asking you to do or they are asking you to do is unbiblical, right? That that's that Acts 5.29 principle I mention all the time. It applies every time when we're talking about submission. By the way, have y'all noticed how much Peter talks about submission in this first letter? Uh, he's talked about uh, uh, submission to our government. He's talked about submission uh, to, our, to our bosses, our, our owner, masters, to slaves kind of thing. He's talked about wives, submission to their husbands. And now he's talking about uh, the, the sheep submitting to the shepherd, but there would be no expectation on God's part that you would submit if the pastor were asking you to do something that were unbiblical. Not something just that you don't like, not something that you don't even agree with, but is in opposition to the clear teachings of Scripture. You would have the actually the responsibility then to say, no, not going to happen. This happened a few years ago. This happened a few years ago, but 
there was a church. I think it's in Atlanta, but I, I don't want to put that on Atlanta because I'm, I'm really not sure about this. But there was this church that uh, it was a very large church. They had multiple pastors, and they recruited certain women from the church. I try to keep a straight face when I say this because it just seems so unbelievable, but this is true. They recruited certain women from the church to be special ministers to the ministers. I kid you not. Ministers to the ministers. And they were using their position and they were telling these women that it was God's will for them to minister to them. And they were taking sexual advantage of some of the women in the church. This, I mean, this was going on. When it, when it all busted loose, I mean, there were dozens and dozens of women that they had recruited into this special ministry. <laughs> okay, listen. Ladies? Okay, first off, that's never going to happen here at Cross Culture, okay? All right? Okay. But wherever you find yourself, if 30 years from now you live in Alaska and you're part of some church, whatever the case may be, if some pastor at some point comes to you and tries to tell you that it's God's will for you to minister to him in this way, here's, here's the only thing i got, got to say to you, ladies. Ask for chapter and verse. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Show me, pastor, where it, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, right? But no, there'd be no expectation that a, a person would, would submit uh, when what they're asking them to do uh, would be contrary to God's, to God's word. Okay? All right. But, barring that, the idea is, is that we place ourselves under the leadership of our pastors and we follow what they say. Can I say this to you, this honestly, the, the people that serve uh, in that capacity here at Cross Culture Church, they, they, really, they really have your best interests at heart. Uh, we, we work at this thing and we, you know, sometimes we try good things and they work out well, we try other things, they don't work out so well. It's one of the founding principles of Cross Culture Church that we said from the very beginning. We're going to try stuff. That as long as it doesn't violate a principle of Scripture, we're going to try, and, we're going to, we're going to try it to engage the world, to try and reach people for Christ. As I haven't said this in a long time, but one of the things that we say is that we're going to operate uh, inside the book, but outside the box. We're not going to be afraid to, to operate and, and, and uh, try, try different things. So we work hard at what we're, we're trying to do, and the call is for uh, the, the people of God to come up under the leadership of the pastors and say, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's try this. Let's go here. Let's support this. Let's be a part of this. Let's give to this. Let's all that, that kind of stuff. That's the, that's the calling on our lives, okay? All right. Um, let me give you the, the second one uh, this morning. Serve. Do what others need you to do. Submit. Do what your pastors ask you to do. This is the expectations on the sheep. Second, serve. Do what others need you to do. Look at the latter part of verse 5. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. All of you, everybody, everyone, who are the sheep and, and the shepherd and the body and all of this. this idea of clothe yourself, humility, humility. There's that word. It shows up again and again and over and over again in the word of God. This idea of humility, humble. By the way, humility is not just the idea of, 
you know, a person that's braggadocious or stuck on themselves or thinks they ought to be the, the center of all attention, all that stuff. Clearly that, right? Clearly that there's no place for that in the body of Christ. It should not be, obviously that, that's, that sense of humility is, is a given. But humility, really, I kind of give you a little definition of it this morning. Really, humility is simply an attitude of thinking others before yourself. That's, that's really, in its essence, that's what humility is. It's thinking of others before yourself. It's thinking that others are more important than you. It's thinking that others' needs are more important than yours. That is the true essence of what humility is. And that is the call for followers of Jesus Christ who are part of this body, the sheep. Every one of you, from the back row to the front row, and everybody that's watching this thing, they may not be a part of this local body, maybe they're part of somebody somewhere in the world, the call is for us to serve the rest of the body, to be a part of this. Notice he says, going back to the verse, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. That phrase, that little phrase right there, clothe yourselves, let me give, let me give you the Greek for this, enkambaste. Uh, it means to bind on. I want you to hear this. It means to bind on. So can you hear in this that there's an idea that it's more than just a casual, you know, throw something on uh, temporarily. It, it really is this idea of binding this spirit of humility on my, on my person, on myself. This is who I am. This is what God has called me to be. This is how I ought to act. I am a servant to the body of Christ, to my, to my fellow sheep. Can you see this natural progression? Peter's talked about the pastor and the sheep and their relationship. And he just naturally moves into the sheep and the sheep and what their relationship and their interaction should be with each other. And our interaction with each other should be, hey, hey, you're more important than I am. What do you need that you don't have? How can I help you do this? What, what is possible for that? It is, it is to bind this attitude on you. By the way, may or may not care, but this is the only place in the New Testament where this word is used. And it comes from the root word, enkambaste comes from the root word enkambama, which is the name, the Greek name, for the, for the white apron that a servant would put on in those times to serve. You still see it in classical, you know, maids and stuff wear a white apron. Uh, that's where this comes from. That the root word of what Peter's using there actually means to put on the apron of service. Now, I'm thinking... Now, you know, maybe it's just me, but I'm thinking that when Peter, as Peter writes that, he's writing in inspiration, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As he writes, I'm thinking that he's got in his mind, his mind has to be going back to where? Do you remember the upper room? Remember John chapter 13? The story in the upper room where Jesus took up the towel and he put it on as an apron? And he served? This, listen, this is, folks, this is God Almighty in the flesh washing the stinking, dirty feet of men. And, and do you remember what Jesus said when he finished that act? John chapter 13. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? He said, hey guys, do you understand what I just did? It's not just, yeah, your feet are dirty and you, you open-toed shoes or no shoes at all. And that was a custom in that day to wash feet because feet would be the thing that would be most dirty. But he says, guys, do you understand what I did? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, because that's what I am. I'm teacher, I'm Lord. N no teacher, trust me, in that day, and you probably have a hard time maybe even today, no teacher, no Lord, going to be washing other people's feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Approaching life as a, as a servant, approaching others, the idea of how I can humble myself and do, oh, but I'm tired or I, or I don't want to or it's going to cost me time or it's going to whatever, but, but I'm going to do this. And Peter says, it's interesting with the, the way the John 13 text ends, maybe Peter still got this in mind because Peter goes the opposite direction and he says, but those who can't do it, for those whose pride won't let them humble themselves and serve the body, you know what he says? He says, he says God, it will be opposed to you. I think it literally uh, means, uh, go on, Tyler, never mind. That God literally is standing against you is what it means. Now, folks, I I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) Of all the people that you might want opposing you in the world, in the universe, (laughs) in all of of eternity, I'm thinking God is probably one that you, you don't want literally opposing you. And why would God do that? If you're his child, why would God oppose you? Because there's no place in the body of Christ for, for a lack of humility. There's no place for an unwillingness to, to, to say, hey, it's not about me. It's about God and about God's people. It's about the other sheep around me. How can I be a part? How can I serve them? Okay, real quick, let me give you some, some reasons why we, uh, why we serve the body. One, you just saw the second go, it's for the good of the body. It is for the good of the body that, that we do this. Imagine for a moment if, if, if there was not a single need in this church for anything. Now, I'm not just talking about the, when we're gathered here and the work we need in life groups or, or cross culture kids or, you know, I'm not I'm just talking about when we're gathered. Sure, there are plenty of needs and, and we ought to be stepping up and, and quite honestly, there ought to be more people waiting to serve than there are uh, places to serve. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had to like constantly create new ministry opportunities because, because more people were wanting to serve and, and we'd run out of spots? I thought ministry heads would have amen that for sure. But they're probably off serving somewhere, so they, they weren't able to do it. So, uh, but, but imagine what, what that would imagine what that look like. Imagine what that would, that would be like. It's for the good of the body. When, when, someone is, when someone is struggling emotionally with loneliness... For the body, for, for another uh, sheep to be there and come alongside them and minister them. Maybe a person that's been through similar uh, waters and, and can, can relate to them. Imagine somebody has a physical need or a financial need or a, uh, whatever it might be. Do you know what you'd have if, if the sheep just gathered around each other and, and said, how can we help? How can we do? What can we do? How can we do all this? You know what you'd have? You'd have the body of Christ the way God intended it to be. Again... I think cross-culture church is awesome. This, uh, God is my witness. This is, this is the closest thing I've seen to it in my 20-plus years of pastoral ministry. We're not perfect, but we're sure not perfect. But, but, but you guys care about each other. You amaze me. But, but we gotta keep, we got to keep doing it. we got to keep pushing. we got to keep doing more and all that. We do it for the, for the good of the body. Second, we do it uh, for the blessing from God. As I said a moment ago, God is opposed to those who, who refuse to do this, who refuse to say, uh, uh, those who say, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I got my own problems to worry about. I got my own stuff to do. I got my own thing to do. That, that's not the picture that God creates here with these sheep and, and him as the, the chief shepherd and this, this thing that works together, this body that is Christ here on earth. 
And we do it for the blessing of God. Not, not, not so that he's in opposition to us, but actually that he is blessing the work, the life, everything that you do in your life. God's hand is upon it. And then third, uh, we do it for the witness to the world. Back in John chapter 13, maybe you've read this before, back in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Listen, it is a strong witness to the world when they see believers engaging and helping everybody, not even, just, not even just believers, but the world around us. It's always such a strong impact. It has an impact. It doesn't go unnoticed. I promise you, it doesn't go unnoticed. When people know that you, that you fly under the banner of, of Jesus Christ, they watch you. Whether you realize, they're watching. They're looking. They're listening. They are. And when they, when they hear of you, how you're engaging and help, trying to help somebody else or meeting a need here or doing that, it, it has its impact on the world around us. I was thinking, when I was writing, I was thinking about when we moved into our house uh, a little over three or three and a half years ago, whenever it was, uh, when I started, next day or two, started meeting some, some neighbors, uh, several of them commented about the fact that they couldn't believe how many people uh, that we had helping us unload and, and, and put everything in the house. And all these, I mean, we, a bunch of y'all came out and, and helped us uh, moved in. And they, I'm telling you, people notice. It has an impact on people's lives. Submission, not popular, right? Not popular, especially in the culture in which we live. Can I say this? Especially in the culture where we live that, that quite honestly, villainizes authority, demonizes authority, and celebrates, quite honestly, rebellion. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying to you? Do y'all hear about the uh, 15-year-old girl that had her dad arrested, I think this was just this past week, had her dad arrested because he took her phone away from her when he found some texts on it. She'd written some nasty texts to another girl. And so he took her phone away. I'm talking police came to the door, handcuffed him, took him to jail for exercising his parental right and responsibility to discipline his child. Listen, listen, hear what I'm saying. Uh, I think if a police officer does something wrong, he ought to be accountable to the full extent of the law like any other person. Y'all hear about the lady that pulled the police officer over uh, because she thought he was going too fast? For real, I'm telling you, you got to watch the video, YouTube it. Uh, she, she pulls him over, flags him down, and, uh, and he comes to the window, and this guy, could not, he, he could not have been nicer, man. This guy, I don't know how he handled it, because she's just telling him, you're going too fast, and I'm, make, I'm stopping, anyway. I think if a police officer does something wrong, they ought to be uh, fully accountable to the, to the law like any of the rest of us. But who would have imagined that we would live in a day where the police are seen as the bad guys? Submission is not a popular idea, especially in an American culture where we, pr- where we take pride in our rights and our, in, in our ability to do what we want when we want and, and how we want. That's part of what makes the body so different from the world is when they see you come up under the, the, the leadership of, of a pastor or pastors and, and they hear you say, no, our pastor thinks we ought to do this or he's leading us into this or we're going to do this study or whatever the case may be. I have... Um, on uh, a few occasions, had to practice pastoral authority on someone that had, had moved into a, a sinful practice in their life. I've had to go to them and tell them that they needed to, uh, they had, they needed to stop it, they needed to repent of it, they needed to walk away from it. I've had to do that on a few occasions. It is not pleasant, 
but it's some of the things that, that, that pastors have to do. In virtually every instance, I try, I try to think of an instance where, where it worked out differently. Maybe, I hope there was one, but in virtually every instance where I've had to do that, the person got mad at me, left the church, went down and joined another church right down the street that was happy to have them, and in some cases went down there talking about what a bad person I, I was because I threw them out of the church. Submission. Whew. But I'm telling you, it is this beautiful picture of what God calls us to do as his followers. I'm telling you, it's the number one problem in families. It is. Fathers, husbands who refuse to submit to God because they won't love their wives more than themselves. Wives that won't submit to their husbands and honor and respect and let them lead the home. And children that won't submit to his or her parents' authority. And so in the midst of all that, in the culture in which we live, here is this picture of these sheep who are called to, to submit. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength and confidence in God. And to serve, to look around and to say, man, what, what, is, what, is, what does Bill need? What does Ernie need? How can I help? On and on. How, how can we be part of this? That's this picture that he's painting here. And he's not done. He's got a couple other things. And next week is really important because he's going to talk about how you learn to trust God in the midst of, of this stuff that goes on in your life. Remember, the church is going into persecution and some other stuff. But it begins with this idea of submission and the idea of serving. Thanks, Pastor. As God's sheep, there's certainly plenty in today's message to chew on. One of the most powerful images in Pastor Clay's message today was the fact that Peter says that God opposes the proud and those unwilling to humble themselves under God's mighty hand. Simply put, we are to humbly seek to honor God with our lives and seek to help others. As we focus on God's will and meeting the needs of others, our trials and circumstances won't take up as much room in our lives as they often try to do. God can be trusted to be with us through our adversity. We just have to trust Him. How did Pastor Clay put it in today's message? It doesn't make any difference where the events and circumstances of your life come from. It only matters where you place them. We serve a God who has hands big enough and strong enough to hold them all. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us 
us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.